Today on State Scoop's Priorities Podcast from Scoop News Group, incentivizing broadband expansion with money on the table. And that's where all of our investments in, in internet infrastructure to this point, and I think continuing forward through the American Rescue Plan work and the uh, President Biden's bipartisan infrastructure law and the BEAD program, it relies on that public-private partnership. Collaborating, even when people might not want to. Our, our motto is live free or die, so everybody wants to be pretty independent. And um, so I've been spending a lot of time trying to build coalitions, build trust, build community around some basic ideas and work my way up the idea food chain. Welcome to State Scoop's Priorities Podcast. Every Thursday, you'll get insights into the state and local government technology community. You'll hear from top leaders across the state and local world, as well as the latest news and trends ahead for the industry. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Here's what's happening this week. California plans to merge its Data Analytics Bureau with its Innovation and Digital Services Agency, the state's chief data officer says. The office would focus on efficiency as well as provide a place for agencies to pilot IT projects. The final decision on the merge will come next month when the legislature votes on Governor Gavin Newsom's proposed budget. Bloomberg Philanthropies and several nonprofit groups are working to help local governments get the most out of the $550 billion in funding from last year's federal infrastructure law. The organization will create what it's calling the Local Infrastructure Hub with the U.S. Conference of Mayors, the National League of Cities, and Results for America. The hub will provide cities with information, resources, and technical assistance. It opens June 1st. Maryland Governor Larry Hogan is boosting cybersecurity and technology efforts in the state with his signature on three bills. The laws are part of Hogan's efforts to, quote, further strengthen Maryland's standing as the cyber capital of America. The legislation codifies the state's CISO, creates a cyber preparedness unit to work with local governments, and sets cyber planning and incident reporting requirements for water and sewer systems. You can read these stories and more at statescoop.com. You'll also find links in today's show notes. The National Telecommunications and Information Administration is out with guidance for the $45 billion in broadband funding that's set to be distributed to states as part of the infrastructure law. The guidance includes funds for mapping networks, installing fiber, and providing affordable subscriptions to low-income households. Nate Denny is the Deputy Secretary for Broadband and Digital Equity with the North Carolina Department of Information Technology. He tells State's Goose Managing Editor Benjamin Freed that the federal broadband dollars will build on the commitments Governor Roy Cooper has made so far to close the digital divide. You know, I should say, before we even get to the BEAD program, Governor Cooper committed more than a billion dollars of North Carolina's American Rescue Plan allotment uh, to uh, closing the digital divide. So Governor Cooper uh, announced a plan last year to use funding to uh, get more infrastructure, right, so that uh, 98% of North Carolina households have access to a high-speed internet connection to invest in adoption uh, needs. So making sure folks have the devices and skills they need and can afford high-speed internet service so that we in North Carolina can hit an 80% subscription rate statewide as well. And we don't just want an 80% average subscription rate. We wanna hit that across demographic groups because in North Carolina, uh, uh, minority communities are recovering from the economic and health impacts of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic slower than others, right? So in the case of the digital divide, North Carolina uh, white households subscribe at a rate of about 76%. Black, Latino, and Native American households 
all lag considerably behind that in the like high 50s to high 60s range. Yeah. So we want to make sure that all communities have an opportunity to realize the benefits of these investments. And we also, I think most importantly, want a 100% subscription rate uh, for North Carolina households with school children in them. And of course, the IIJA is going to give us a chance to really connect everybody to go in and fill the remaining gaps. And that's where the BEAD program comes in. But now let's talk about, about BEAD because this is, this is an even bigger mm -hmm. amount of money, uh, mm -hmm. hundreds of millions for every state. Um, and the, you know, and, and just from what I've read of, 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 the, of the NOFO last week, the, you know, the name of the game is, is digital equity. There's a big priority on the underserved areas, on the, on the parts, on the areas that uh, where we're building out, uh, we're building out broadband infrastructure has historically been difficult. Um, and what are you looking to this program for? Well, so, you know, first, we don't know yet what North Carolina's share of this program will be, right? It's going to go on a formula basis to North Carolina. We know it'll be a minimum allocation of at least $100 million. But if you look at North Carolina's size, uh, the number of unserved North Carolinians out there, uh, the, I'd say, uh, uh, geospatial diversity and, and scope of North Carolina's unserved areas, and the fact that we're the second largest rural population uh, in the union, uh, you know, I, I think that North Carolina is going to uh, receive a, a really significant chunk of those bead funds. Now, we're going to use the data we get back from our ARPA, our American Rescue Plan funded programs, to identify the best possible uses, the most effective and efficient uses of those bead funds. But I think the important things are, you know, there's a, a focus on local coordination and stakeholder planning and communication that I think will help us build really strong projects. Uh, you know, I think one of the things we did last week when Secretary Romando and her team came to town is uh, pull together stakeholders from county governments, municipal governments, the internet provider community, rural electric co-ops and any number of other uh, COGS and other kind of local or regional stakeholders to talk about what that coordination will look like. And, and I think that we, um, we benefit in North Carolina from Governor Cooper's commitment to closing the digital divide, from the programs and work that we've already got in place here, uh, from the ARPA funded projects or before, but also from just a really strong community of stakeholders that have been working on rural connectivity issues, on local digital equity and inclusion planning um, uh, for some time, right? So we've really got all the players in place to capitalize effectively on these federal funds. Yeah. So you talked about, you know, things like issues like the homework gap and just the broader digital divide. Um, you know, historically, what, what has been preventing internet service providers from getting into those rural, uh, lower income, harder to reach parts of the state? Well, you know, I think the biggest problem has been a lack of capital, right? I mean, at the end of the day, an internet provider makes an, <clears throat> excuse me, makes an upfront investment in its infrastructure, right? Extending it beyond its existing footprint and seeks payback for those investments from its subscriber base, 
right? And so if you're talking about really rural parts of the state in the mountains or in rural, you know, uh, eastern North Carolina, northeastern North Carolina, where I grew up, you're talking about a less dense population and fewer potential subscribers to help that provider make up the funds. And that's where all of our investments in, in internet infrastructure to this point, and I think continuing forward through the American Rescue Plan work and the uh, President Biden's bipartisan infrastructure law and the BEAD program, it relies on that public-private partnership, right? It's an investment of public funds to change that math and, and the incentives for the internet providers to go into these communities. You know, the other thing that's been missing, I'd say, is this focus on digital equity, right? I, I think at the end of the day, an internet uh, uh, provider or its representatives would tell you, look, if, if a household gets a computer, right, or some training on how to use that computer and how to use the internet in their daily lives, if we do the outreach necessary to help folks learn how, you know, how they can afford uh, the cost of a high-speed internet connection, um, then we see uh, a significant bump in uptake, right? We get more customers when we and others have done the work to, uh, to make sure folks have that laptop, you know, have the skills in place and can afford the service. And so I think the comprehensive approach of President Biden's bipartisan infrastructure law incorporating affordability elements, incorporating uh, uh, participation in the affordable connectivity program, which can get folks $30 a month off their internet uh, 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 subscription costs. And, you know, getting these factors comprehensively wrapped into a broader state plan, I think will help uh, address these needs in a way that, that hasn't happened before. Yeah. So uh, I'm glad you, you you brought that back up because you started out by talking a bit about uh, not just the the overall digital equity uh, efforts that you have, but your your new office uh, that's devoted to equity and and digital literacy. Uh, I want to hear more a bit more about what that office is going to be doing, what what they're going to you know how they're going to you know hit the ground, get into and get into the communities. What uh, how are they going to tackle that? Sure. So you know I think uh, Governor Cooper's initial plan. Uh, called for uh, investments in affordability, right? So, so trying to bring down the cost of a high-speed internet connection, uh, getting devices into the households of low-income North Carolinians, and uh, uh, making community investments in uh, local stakeholders who are working around uh, digital equity work, right? So we have partnered with NC State's Institute for Emerging Issues on something called the Band NC Grants. And those are relatively small grants that help county governments build digital inclusion plans, right? So that they can start um, uh, bringing folks together and getting folks training or devices and so I think what you're going to see from that Office of Digital Equity and Literacy is a concentrated effort on buying and moving laptops into low-income North Carolina households and helping to design a new grant program that helps local governments, nonprofits, education institutions, and other stakeholders really develop and implement 
digital equity plans at a local level. I think a really important part of President Biden's bipartisan infrastructure law is the Digital Equity Act, which stands uh, kind of parallel to the BEAD program we've talked about a lot. And that's going to help state uh, digital equity efforts kind of build capacity. But there's a $1.4 billion program that's a competitive grant program around digital equity that the state can't compete for, right? So what we've got to do with our American Rescue Plan work and with our initial funding uh, from the Infrastructure Act uh, in the Digital Equity Act programs is build a digital equity ecosystem in North Carolina, right? Help make the investments that help North Carolina communities, these local stakeholders and leaders bring home as much of this federal funding as North Carolina can possibly get. I realize we got to wrap up uh, soon, but it does sound like, you know, this is all going to keep you uh, extremely busy. So <laughs> just uh, you know, wrapping up, uh, you know, what are you uh, thinking for the next few months, few years, what, what's going through your mind? <laughs> Lots. Uh, you know, I, we're, we're hitting the ground running, right? I think we've already got a good foundation in place with the work we've done building our American Rescue Plan uh, effort around closing the digital divide. Governor Cooper actually indicated to NTIA formally this morning that North Carolina would be participating in the BEAD program. So we've kicked that process off to start bringing back planning dollars uh, to make sure we maximize those uh, those efforts, you know, and funds. I think the challenge here with uh, these projects is that everybody needs high-speed internet yesterday, right? And, and so they see these funding numbers, they see uh, uh, all these new programs and like, cool, when can I turn my router on, right? And, and so we've got to move quickly, but of course, we've also got to balance that with our stewardship mission, right? And, and be good stewards of taxpayer resources here and manage these programs efficiently, effectively, you know, mitigate risk uh, and, and, you know, be ready to build smart projects that can help as many North Carolinians as possible. And those two priorities that move real fast and move real carefully don't always mesh well. And, and, and that's what my and my team, that's what my team and I are really focused on. How, how do we um, uh, get these dollars out the door as quickly as possible while being ma making sure that we are being responsible and focused on delivering value for the taxpayers in North Carolina? Nate Denny, the Deputy Secretary for Broadband in North Carolina's IT department. You can read more about broadband in North Carolina at statescoop.com and in today's show notes. I'm Jake Williams, host of Statescoop's Priorities Podcast. Next week on the show, Connecticut CIO Mark Raymond on workforce training as his state continues its digital government expansion. You can subscribe to the podcast at PrioritiesPodcast.com and wherever you get your podcasts. State CIOs are continuing to prioritize the use of relief funding from the American Rescue Plan, along with incoming dollars from the infrastructure law that President Biden signed last year. New Hampshire CIO Dennis Goulet says the first step to embracing that relief funding is knowing how to access it. Because it's a bit complex, you know, there's a lot of rules of the, in the Treasury guidance that you have to follow, and there's ways of, ways of doing that. So I'd encourage, you know, all of my peer, peers and uh, the corporate members to understand those really well because it helps you make the case for funding. Um, the thing that I think is really one of the really cool things, other than having you know more money than you might have otherwise had, is um, it allows um, IT 
to to be put in a more leadership position as it relates to you know citizen services things like that where we can actually go to our, to our agency customers and say hey I've got an idea for something that you know I saw in your strategic plan and I think maybe we could you know justify accessing ARPA funds for that so that's a, you know been a big priority for me other than you know kind of core infrastructure stuff which is really neat to be able to get funding for the, you know, more more uh, um, easily and aggressively than I might have otherwise, but then go further than that and, and, and target citizen services, things like that. So I'm really enjoying that. When, when you're talking about things like core infrastructure funding, I mean, it has long been a, the biggest challenge maybe for state CIOs to justify the upfront expense to modernize some of that legacy technology. I mean, what does this, this funding enable you to do and how does that sort of fit into your modernization strategy? Well, it was, you know, I think that um, the COVID, um, what I call the great diaspora, when everybody left work and went home, um, and, and also the, the fact that we needed to provide services online, I think that helped our, our leaders and our policymakers in state government to understand that this, you know, this hygiene, networks, uh, cybersecurity, things like that, they're really important. So I was, I was shocked when, um, you know, when I went and started asking for money for like un, you know you know unexciting things like networking and and data storage and and protecting it from ransomware thing you know things that normally wouldn't be cool that I have to fight for I really didn't have much trouble justifying in light of you know I think that new understanding of how important it is and that that's a big deal I mean when was the last time someone didn't have to fight for funding <laughs> yeah no I I mean I worked hard for it but. Once it got to the you know the approval stage in the legislature in the governor's office, and it just you know I didn't have much trouble you know justifying it in light of their you know I think new understanding. And, and speaking of funding and cyber, I mean it's not just the ARPA funding, right? There's infrastructure funding coming, state and local grants, guidance expected later this summer. Uh, you know I know there's still so many questions left on how that's going to work, but what are some of your thoughts as you approach that? Well, one of the things that's important to to myself and I think all the NASIO community is getting uh, NOFO guidance that really allows us to take a whole state approach versus a piece by piece. You know, that, that's our biggest concern is to, to allow the states to be strategic, whether you're you already have top level programs so that the, uh, the, the funding doesn't undermine those top level programs you already have in place. Or um, if you don't, at least you can create a strategic approach to it versus what I would call a tactical approach where each you know, municipality does it on their own. And what's that in, in New Hampshire, what's that collaboration environment like between state and municipality? Uh, have you any mechanisms in place to facilitate that sharing or is it really just rubber meets the road getting out there talking to folks? Well, you know, it's, it's, a, lo it's a lot of hard work and socialization. You know, our, our motto is live free or die. So everybody wants to be pretty independent. And um, so I've been spending a lot of time trying to build coalition, build trust, build community around some basic ideas and work my way up the idea food chain. And um, it's, it's a lot of fun. I love doing that kind of work, but it is, it's a lot of work. And then let's shift gears a little bit and talk about workforce. I mean, top priority for, for everyone. It's a huge deal. Uh, what are some of the challenges that you're facing when it comes to the workforce? And what are some of the ways that you're trying to get across them? Well, what, what we've seen in New Hampshire, and I think my colleagues are seeing this, is the, you know, the delta of competitiveness in a lot of cases between the private sector and the public sector has increased. 
So, um, and that's driven particularly in areas of, you know, compensation is one thing, but I think the whole flexibility of work-life balance that happened in COVID and now is a basic expectation. A lot of states didn't, you know, they, they tried to go back and, and it was very unhelpful, very unhelpful to retaining good skilled people. And I think there's a lot of, you know, hot, hot skills out there. So as you skill up your state workers, it gives them, it makes them very, and, and I would never say you shouldn't skill up your state workers, you absolutely should, but it's created an environment where they are extremely marketable and, and, and can, you know, have a, you know, a higher level of compensation and that flexibility that they all desire. So that's been our challenge. And, we're, you know, so we're working on creative ways of, of trying to deal with that while surviving, you know, because we still have to get the work done. I, I'm running the highest vacancy rate in my department in the history of my department, which is almost 20 years old. So, wow. And so, I mean, when you, when you look at a, a high vacancy like that, I mean, what are some of those here and now ways where you're trying to fill those jobs, trying to get folks in those roles? Well, I, I hate to say it, but staff augmentation is a big thing. We're, we're doing a lot of that, you know, bringing in skills on a, you know, kind of a tactical level as we build up what our strategic approach is. But also, um, you know, working on policies inside the state that help us be more competitive, like um, having, you know, more forward-looking and, and embracing telework schedules and job flexibility type options to counteract the fact that, you know, we might not pay as much as the private sector. So that's, we still do have great, really great benefits, but, you know, some people care about, others don't, you know, the younger, uh, you know, that long-term benefit and retirement thing isn't as attractive as it used to be, particularly to young people. So we need new ways of, of doing things there too. That's Dennis Goulet, CIO of New Hampshire. You can read more about relief funding at statescoop.com and in today's show notes. The Priorities Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you haven't already, please leave a review or rating on the podcast page. They make it more likely that more people will find the show. This podcast is a product of Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helped put it together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Until next week, I'm your host, Jake Williams. Thanks for listening.